Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the work that you've done to rescue us. We don't want to flatten out every passage and rush too quickly to you. But we also recognize that on that road to Emmaus in Luke 24, you took the minds of those two disciples back to the Old Testament and you showed them how everything in the Old Testament was preparing for your coming and for your work on the cross and in the resurrection. So there is a sense in which we want to see you lifted up, a real sense that we want to see you lifted up in 1 Samuel 17. Holy Spirit, we rely on your help. This is your word. Would you use it in our life together this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, this is Rosie. Rosie's our four-month-old golden retriever puppy. I promise I will not have dog illustrations every week, but she's the best. She's the best. This pup loves everything except cars. She's terrified of cars. Absolutely, desperately terrified of cars. Ava says it's because she came from an Amish family in Ohio. So I don't know if that's true or not. Here's what's been helping Rosie, though, on the leash. Because she's pretty good on the leash, except when there are cars around. When there are cars around, what will help Rosie is if she turns her attention from the car, the thing that's terrifying her, to me, the person on the other end of the leash who's with her. If she can be more comforted by my presence than she is terrified of that car's presence, then she will grow in courage and be able to withstand those terrifying vehicles. Here's our main idea. Don't let your heart fail. Our shepherd stands to defend us. David makes it clear that the Lord is the shepherd who will deliver Goliath into his hands. It's the Lord who does it. The battle belongs to him. And when God does this, when he delivers Goliath into David's hand, everyone watching and everyone who hears and reads of this later will know that the Lord is God. His deliverance of his people is mysterious, isn't it? He doesn't deliver with sword or spear. He delivers in his own way, in his own time, working through human weakness for his glory. And in David, we see an example, an example of what it looks like to stare down a threat, to not back down, to hold our ground in faith, and to withstand what's coming. We borrow strength to face the threat, knowing the presence of the Lord will accomplish his purposes. So on the one hand, it is true that 1 Samuel 17 is all about God winning the battle for his people. And it's also true that David responds faithfully to the circumstance that God has placed him in. He relies on God's presence. He stands his ground and he takes down the giant. When the threat comes... Rosie needs to focus on me. And when our threats come, we need to focus on the Lord. So what threat do you face this morning? Maybe the threat is physical, cancer, or chronic pain. Maybe the threat is relational. Maybe it's the suffocating loneliness that this last three years has surfaced. Marriages have taken a hit over the last three years. Or maybe the threat is emotional chronic depression or anxiety, or maybe the threat is financial. Maybe you're spread too thin month after month, or you're completely stressed over investments lost. Maybe the threat is cultural. As you see Christian friends, their faith shipwreck as cultural winds blow left and right. Or maybe the threat is spiritual. You've sinned, 
but you don't have the courage to kick that sin out into the light through confession because it just seems like it'll cost too much. Whatever the threat, physical, relational, emotional, financial, spiritual, cultural, there are many. Don't let your heart fail. Our shepherd stands to defend us. For Christians in the room, my objective this morning is to so saturate our hearts in Christ's nearness by His Spirit, His very presence working through us, that it would develop courage and confidence in our hearts in the middle of any threat we face. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, my prayer is this morning you will see that there is no one, including yourself, who can defend you from the trouble and threats that this world provides aplenty. No one but Jesus. So let's begin verses 1 through 3, threat breathed, verses 1 through 11. Now, praise read to us the first 11 verses to set the context. Let me summarize briefly. The battle lines are drawn in verses 1 through 3. The Israelites are gathered about 12 to 14 miles west of Bethlehem, where David was anointed a few weeks ago. And they're lined up in battle on one side of the valley. And the Philistine army is arrayed across the other side of the valley. The two armies face each other. And in verses 4 through 7, Goliath, the giant, steps to the front of the Philistine army. He's from the city of Gath in Philistia. Now, he's at least 8 feet tall. He might be closer to 10 feet tall. But he's not just tall. He's a champion. He's a war champion, and he's been that way since he was a teenager. This man knows how to fight. He's not just tall. He's athletic, and he's strong. He's armed with a fish-scale armor coat that weighs 125 pounds. He has a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And he carries a spear the size of a weaver's beam. And he carries a sword. And he is so precious to the Philistine army that he has a soldier that's whole job is to carry a shield and stand in front of Goliath in the middle of battle. Well, Goliath is also arrogant. Look with me in verses 8 through 10. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy, this word is used six times, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now to lessen the bloodshed and maybe to increase the Philistine odds of victory, Goliath says, listen, this will just be a, a duel. Send your best fighter to fight me. Whoever wins, the other army will be their slaves. Goliath defies the Israelite army. Goliath defies God of the Israelites. He defies them. He taunts them. He scorns them for their cowardly refusal to fight. And then in verse 11, we read the response of the Israelite army. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. There's not one soldier in Israel who's willing to fight Goliath. Not that that's an easy task. And it's not as if they're just forfeiting their own life. They risk the lives of the entire army who will be enslaved if they lose this battle. 
This isn't an easy task. And so the army trembles with dismay. The army is greatly afraid. They're humiliated and they're ashamed. The hearts of the entire Israelite army fail. They have no strength and they collapse humiliated into their seats. But Israel has a king. Israel has a king that they set apart to defend them against their enemies. They have a king in Saul. So where's King Saul? King Saul has lost his heart as well. King Saul is dismayed and greatly afraid along with the army. King Saul keeps his seat. Why did Israel pick Saul? Why Saul? Out of all the men they could have selected to be their king, why Saul? Do you remember? If you flip, flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, we read a few weeks ago that there was a man in Benjamin whose name was Kish, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than Saul, and from his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Israel chooses Saul to be their king because he was tall and handsome. He had the appearance of a king. But Israel's tall king could not defeat Philistine's giant because Saul didn't have the heart of a king. He was tall, but he lacked the heart of a king. His heart failed Israel when they needed their king to defend them. Now, why did Saul's heart fail? Why? Ultimately, it's because God rejected Saul as king, which we saw in 1 Samuel 15 because he rejected God's word. But when God rejects Saul as king, God also removes his spirit, his presence, his rushing wind from Saul, which we saw last week in 1 Samuel 16. And so tall king Saul, the man set apart to defend his people, cowers before the arrogant words of Goliath. We should feel the threat of Goliath this morning. We should see him in the valley taunting the Israelites. We should feel the humiliation of every Israelite soldier who knows they should go and defend their people, but they can't. We should feel most of all the humiliation of Saul who cannot do what he's supposed to do, defend his people from this threat. Is your heart in danger of failing this morning? Our circumstances sometimes threaten to undo us. Our circumstances intimidate and terrify. They overwhelm and they isolate us. As one of your pastors, I know some of the threats that we're facing as a church family, individually and together. And I know how we're tempted to respond. I know how I'm tempted to respond. Some of us, when these threats come, are tempted to manhandle circumstances back under our control. Take the threat and neutralize it in our own strength and take it back under our control. In our own strength, according to our own flesh. Some of us are tempted to collapse in discouragement when these threats come. Under the weight of the threatening winds, we just collapse to our knees in despair. And some of us are tempted to distract ourselves in the middle of these threats, coping with substances or sex or leisure. The king that Israel chose, the king they chose in their own strength, according to what they could see with their eyes, was a tall man who was handsome, 
who could not defend them from their enemies. If in the face of a threat this morning, you've chosen or given in to one of these temptations to manhandle or to collapse or to distract, this morning is an opportunity for you to turn and to repent and to acknowledge that what we do in our own flesh, what we do according to our own strength will fail. Those things can't defend us. We can't defend ourselves. Only our shepherd can stand and defend us. And we see a picture of this in verses 12 through 40. Threat accepted. When we get to verse 12, there is a narrative relief that happens. Now David. Ah, now David. In verses 12 through 19, we find David in Bethlehem, and we get a little bit of a review of who David is. His background, the fact that he's the son of Jesse, that he has seven brothers, and that the three oldest brothers, we're told, are fighting with Saul against the Philistines. We're also told in these first three verses that David is making his way back and forth between Saul's, uh, Saul's court, playing the harp, comforting Saul, and Jesse's field in Bethlehem, shepherding Jesse's sheep. He's back and forth. We're also told that the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites has now persisted for 40 days, and every morning and every evening, Goliath steps out of the ranks of the Philistines, and he taunts Israel 80 times. And because the battle wears on, Jesse sends David with food to the front lines to his oldest brothers. And so in verses 20 through 30, we find David at the front line of the battle. In 20 to 23, David leaves the supplies and he rushes to the front line. He wants to see what's happening. And he sees the Israelites lined up in battle on one side of the valley. And he sees the Philistines lined up on the other side of the valley. And he sees the valley of Elah in between them. And then as David is standing there taking this all in, Goliath steps forward for the 81st time and says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. David takes in this chilling, humiliating scene that the army has been enduring for the last 40 days. Look at verse 24 and 25. All the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, fled from him again and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. They're desperate to try to encourage at least one soldier to cross into the battle and take on Goliath. Now, while the Israelite army shakes with fear, the young shepherd David boils with zeal for the Lord. Look at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You can almost see David's head swiveling around wondering, Somebody's got to handle this, right? Surely we're not just going to take this. This man is defying the armies of God. This man is defying God himself. Who's going to do something about this? 
Now, this army may be lulled into a fearful stupor, but David will stir them awake. And in verses 27 to 29, David's oldest brother hears that David has been saying things and confronts and rebukes David and calls him evil in his heart for just wanting to see the bloodshed. You're just here because you want to see it. Really, David knows that his oldest brother is just humiliated by the bravery of his younger. Verses 31 to 40, we arrive in Saul's tent. We move from Bethlehem to the front line, to Saul's tent. Because word has spread to Saul that finally one of the soldiers has agreed to fight Goliath. Look at verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, but a lad, but a teenager, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if it arose against me, I caught it by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Saul turns down David because he's a teenager And he knows Goliath has been a war champion since he was a teenager. And Saul is not just risking David's life. If Saul pushes David into the field and David loses, he's forfeited his entire army to slavery in Philistia. Yet David, while he might be youthful, he knows how to defend his sheep from predators. He knows how to fight off lions and bears. He knows how to strike them down. He knows how to pursue them and to rescue the lambs from their mouths and to strike them down. And this Philistine will be just like one of those, for he has defied the army of the living God. And then in verse 37, David promises deliverance. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David makes it clear who will be responsible for this victory. And Saul is moved by the speech and attempts to even the odds in verses 38 through 40 by giving David armor, but the armor is too big and David isn't used to it. And so instead he heads off with a sling and five smooth stones from a a brook. Now, here's the thing. If God had taken an Israelite giant and sent that Israelite giant into the valley of Elah to fight Goliath, I don't think we would be enamored with the story. God loves to work through human weakness to display His might and glory and faithfulness and love and power. Sometimes it's in his timing. God waits till the last moment or just the right moment. So we stand back and say, only God could have done that. 
or sometimes it's in insurmountable odds. There is no way we could do this or survive that. God has done this. Do you feel that God's late to meet the threat that you face? Do you think that God, deep in your heart, may be mishandling a circumstance? Do you feel the threat that faces you is too ominous or the odds for delivery are too remote? Notice David's logic. God has delivered me from the paws of the lion and the bears. God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. God was faithful to me then. God will be faithful to me again. You may not see how, but God is weaving together a tapestry that stretches from where you are into eternity. And when we are gathered safely in his land, away from all the threats that face us, we will see the loving wisdom in all that he has done. Verses 41 through 58, threat eliminated. Look at verse 41. The Philistine, Goliath, moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And then the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field." Let's pause for a moment and imagine the Israelite army. They know they're enslaved if David loses. They look at this young man who, when he gave a defense, didn't point to men he'd beaten in battle. He pointed to lions and bears that he had bested, which tells us that this may be David's first time facing another human being. They look at this teenager and they look at well-armed Goliath and they've got to be afraid. And the Philistine soldiers, on the other hand, must be lounging in confidence. This is laughable. And though we might forgive him for doing so, David doesn't flinch. David's heart doesn't fail. David breathes through the fear. He trusts the nearness of God's presence. And he is confident of God's deliverance. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That, so that, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Do not defy the God of Israel. And that all this assembly, verse 47, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. He doesn't flinch. And he's able to go toe-to-toe with Goliath. 
Now, by the look of things, David is outmatched. And he's not hiding that. Goliath comes with every visible physical advantage, but God will overwhelm and demolish those odds. You can see who has the advantage here. It's clear. But I come in the name of the hosts of Israel. I come in the name of the Lord of armies, whom you have defied. Now, this story is not about how to kill your giants. This story is about how God makes a name for himself. He does it by delivering his people through insurmountable odds so that it's clear God gets the glory. And make no mistake about it, when God shows up in these ways in history, in our lives, when he shows up in a way that it's clear he did it, that's so good for us. Because it teaches us where to go for help. It teaches us where to go for refuge. It teaches us in whom we can shelter and find safety. He's the one we turn to when the storm clouds and the threats move against us. And yet, though God is the primary actor and should get all the glory as our defender, David does his part empowered by the rushing power of God's Spirit. David will stand his ground. David will raise his hand and say, yes, I'll do it. David will sling the stone. David will strike down the giant. David will cut off the giant's head. He acts in faithful obedience, empowered by the rushing presence of God's Spirit. How much sweat do you think pours from David's forehead as he stands before this gigantic war champion? Do his hands fumble for that first stone, or is he calm, miraculously calm? Does he whisper a desperate prayer for God's help? Look at verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Now, I'm not sure what happened next. I mean, we know what happened soon. But what happens as soon as the Philistine falls to the ground? Is there a cry of victory from Israel's army? Or is there an awestruck silence at what God has just done? Look at verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword without permission and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Before Goliath wakes up from being unconscious, David runs to him and finishes the job. Now the Philistine camp soon breaks into a panic and they're routed and Israel's army chases them all the way back to Philistia plundering along the way. And in verses 55 to 58, King Saul's response is, who exactly is David? Right? It's, if you read this, it's notoriously unclear. It seems like Saul doesn't know David. But we've already been told that Saul's back and forth, or David's back and forth between Saul's courtroom and Jesse's field. So Saul knows David, but who exactly is David? Where does he come from? 
Who is this man, this shepherd, this boy who stood to defend my people? Who exactly is this? Now, God is the primary actor. God's the one who delivers. He's the shepherd that stands to deliver David. We can't miss that. The threats breathing down your neck, the threats exhaling into your face are not yours to face alone. God's purpose will stand in history and in your life. Here's 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, where the Apostle Paul writes, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It's not just David's people, David's generation that experienced threats. Paul says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God is our defender. In every generation, God is the defender of his people against every threat, against any threat. And yet, God uses us as we strengthen our hearts in his presence. There's a role for us amid threat. Why is David able to respond with such courage? What sets him apart from every other Israelite warrior that day? 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, God sends Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's sons. Samuel says, aha, this is the one. And God said, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. We've been through this before because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The spirit, that is the breath or the wind of God, rushed upon David from that day forward. David's heart doesn't fail because the rushing wind of God's presence is strengthening him. God's spirit is with David. When the threats threaten, our shepherd stands to defend us. So do you feel outmatched? Do you feel overwhelmed? Is the waterline of your circumstances bouncing right around your chin? Do the odds seem impossible? Church family, we must be content in such weakness. Content with such weakness. Content with circumstances that render us powerless. Kristen mentioned kindred. This is their theme verse for this year. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. But Jesus said to me, this is Paul again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. I'll boast in it so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because Christ is strong. Because His Spirit is working in our lives. He is powerful when we are weak. And His glory is on display in those circumstances in a way that others can see and in a way that we are convinced of. He's with us. 
When we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts won't fail. We can accept the threats as they come. And when they come, we move ahead not with confidence in our own strength, our own intelligence. We move ahead in His powerful presence. For the sake of time, I have to give these to you really quickly. Here are four ways to strengthen your heart in God, not exhaustive. First, know God in His Word. What's He like? What does He delight in? What is He working toward? Know God in His Word. Number two, remember His past faithfulness. He spared me from the lion and the bear. He'll spare me from the giant. Record these ways. Rehearse the ways that He has provided for you in the past. Number three, depend on His presence. The Holy Spirit rushes upon David. If you belong to Christ, the Spirit has rushed upon you. Rely on Him. Number four, anticipate God's deliverance. Obey in faith. Step out. Be courageous. Hold your ground. Don't shrink back. He is with you, defending you, rising to your defense. Now, there is a threat that rises against us. It's greater than bears, it's greater than lions, it's greater than giants. It's greater than financial hardship, it's greater than chronic pain or natural disasters. It's greater than relational brokenness. The threat that stands against us is greater than cultural upheaval, it's greater than wars and famines or pandemics. You see, all that is broken in the world finds its source in sin. In humanity's sinful rebellion against God. And God's good and just response to our sin, that is death and judgment, is the greatest threat that rises against us. That's the threat that needs to be defeated. That's the great threat that is the source of every other threat we face. And God is clear in His Word that we cannot defend ourselves. No thoughtful effort, no good action can defend us. We are defenseless. We need our shepherd to stand and to defend us, and he has. And you, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. The great shepherd has risen to our defense and has made us alive with him by faith. And if he rose to defend us against that great threat, then he will rise to defend us against all lesser threats. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he spared us from that great threat, why would he not spare us from these lesser threats unless he thought they were exactly what was needed? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What threat would separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. What will separate us from the love of Christ? What threat? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does Rosie need to do when she feels threatened by the car? Focus on me. In every threat, look to your shepherd. Look to your shepherd who has sent his Holy Spirit to rush upon us 
and to be with us. Our great shepherd sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, preparing a place for us, getting ready to return for us, and he has sent his spirit to be with us until he does. Let's not let our hearts fail. Now, the worship team is going to come forward right now while I read Psalm 46 as our prayer. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Threats. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We are the city of God. We are the household of God. And there is a river, God, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Amen.